Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right. Welcome to episode number forty of Grow Bud Yourself. We got a great show in store for you guys today. Uh, our special guest is James from White Coat Services, uh, cannabis consultant extraordinaire. We have an amazing grow tip for you guys. And uh, of course, questions and answers about cultivation of cannabis. All brought to you by Excelsior Extracts, Sweet Leaf Nutrients, and Diamond Cut Co. So stick around for episode 40, coming right up. All right, welcome back. And it is, as mentioned, episode 40 of Grow Bud Yourself. I am Danny Denko. As always, thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the song. He is Mike G. Mike G, how are you? Episode 40. I know, it's a big one. Yeah, episode 40. Actually, you know, it just occurred to me that this year is our 10th anniversary of, of doing podcasts together. That's right. We started in 2011 with the first episode of Grow Bud Yourself. That's amazing. A decade for us. Mm-hmm. And here we are on episode 40 of Grow Bud Yourself. That's right. We've been teaching people how to grow for a long time. We've been annoying people for, for a long time. People are, you know, on their exercise machines. They're traveling. You know, I get I get a lot of messages from people that they... Uh, there's all kinds of different ways that they hear our show, and it's pretty awesome. So if you're trimming your harvest right now, shout out. If you're uh, on your treadmill or your uh, rowing machine, keep on trucking. Do your thing. If you're out there commuting or whatever it might be, uh, you know, in checking the, out your in the grow bathroom, room. You know, yeah, whatever it is, changing the water in your reservoir. Mm-hmm. All kinds of stuff, man. Shout out to all you guys. We really uh, we appreciate our listeners and. Uh, truly are very thankful that you guys spend some time with us every week talking about cannabis cultivation yeah that's right and um you know that that was a very positive uh message to everybody but but not everybody who hears us necessarily enjoys what we have to say uh, we did we got a, a message from through facebook and maybe we should just talk about it right now sure you know. We, we accept all kinds of feedback, obviously. This was not necessarily positive, but uh, Captain Autoflower uh, reached out on Facebook to tell us, Hey, I listened to your podcast for the grow tips, but all I got was advertisements and democratic talking points. <laughs> hmm. oh, wow. Okay. Hey, well, uh, you're entitled to your opinion. Appreciate uh, you voicing that, that to us. Ouch. Uh, as far as the advertisements, you know, we got to pay the bills, and I stand behind every one of these advertisers. Uh, every one of these products is products I use. They are incredible people making amazing products. So I'm not going to advertise anything on here that uh, that I wouldn't use myself and I wouldn't recommend other people to use. And we also got to pay the bills, and I'm proud and happy to have the advertisers that we have. And as far as the Democratic talking points... Uh, Hey, you know, we're all entitled to our opinion and, uh, you know, it's a free show. 
uh, just like it's a free country and you're welcome to listen to other shows. You know, I, like. I thought that we had been doing a good job kind of, you know, keeping things pretty neutral. But I guess in the last couple episodes, maybe, uh, you know, it's tilted a little little in that direction. But yeah, I mean, we're always going to talk yeah. about uh, things. And of course, from our perspective, cannabis is not a partisan issue, mm-hmm. but we have our beliefs and, and we understand obviously that uh you know we're in a better place right now government wise for cannabis as well and we're going to see that in the very near future so but even if you disagree with us politically you know i hope we can all come together on our our shared interest in cannabis and wanting the best for that and and regarding the advertisements uh you know it it bears mentioning you know when we did this show for whatever it was 110 episodes previously as free weed we didn't have to take advertisements because that was part of high times. But now Dan and I are independent. We're out on our own. And, uh, you know, uh, the show has to take advertisements just like high times gets advertisements in the magazine and on the website. Absolutely. And I hope that in between the talking points and the, uh, the advertisements, I really do hope that you've learned something along the way. And we'll continue to if you continue to listen to us. So teaching you how to grow for nothing. All you got to yeah. do is listen to us pitch about politics and and try and sell you scissors so absolutely but for the people who do appreciate the show and want to support us the best way you can do that uh if you're not an advertiser is to join our patreon page which is patreon.com slash danny danko where you can actually pay uh as little as four dollars and twenty cents a month to be a patron and get a little bit of extra content uh stickers a note free nutrients from sweet leaf uh, and all kinds of perks so that's you know that's a great place where you can support us if you like the show and as always support our advertisers um, sign up for the newsletter at growbudyourself.com newsletter is free uh, yeah yeah it's all free totally free well, except the, you know, the Patreon pledges, but right. again, $4.20 is really nothing. You know, it's a great way to support us and we do truly appreciate it and uh you get a bunch of free stuff as well. So, it's pretty awesome. Also, just one other thing, uh, you know, again, if you haven't signed up for the newsletter yet, we encourage you to do that. Just go to the website growbudyourself.com. You could sign up there, but uh, something I did, I've been thinking about doing this for three years. Back when I was editor-in-chief of High Times, I had uh, intended to do it, and I kind of put it on a shelf in my brain and left it there for three years and finally actually did it. Uh, it's our very first um, cannabis crossword puzzle. It's, you know, all original, exclusive to uh, Grow Bud Yourself, and it's in the newsletter. But I think, you know, we'll put it up on the website so everybody can can participate if they want to. Yeah, I saw that in the newsletter. It was awesome. You click on it, and you can actually fill out the... The crossword, that's yeah, really Yeah, it's like really interactive cool. on, yeah, online. So. Yeah, super rad. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. That's a great addition, and uh, I don't know how you managed to figure out how to pop it in there, but it's pretty cool. So check that out as well, you guys. That'll be on the website, growbudyourself, and, uh, dot com, I should say, growbudyourself.com, and on the newsletter that you guys should definitely sign up for. There's grow tips in there. Uh, there's all kinds of interesting info, and... It's a great way to keep up with the show every week. But uh, we do have a great show for you guys and a great interview coming up as well. So I don't want to waste too much time here in the intro. I'd love to get right into the uh, thick of things with James Rushing from White Coat Services, who is an amazing consultant and uh, cultivator and educator and uh, has really grown a ton of cannabis and 
has a wealth of knowledge about scaling up and about uh, dispensaries and, and cultivating centers and all kinds of information. So I think without further ado, uh, we will be right back after these messages with James from White Coat Services. So stick around. Hey, you guys, this episode is brought to you by Excelsior Extracts and their incredible THC-infused relief rub. Uh, And now this stuff really works. And uh, I know it works because it's made by our friend Outcast, and she needs very, very strong topicals. Uh, So the relief rub is the strongest topical I've ever tried. Check them out on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts, all one word. Uh, DM them for info on the relief rub if you're interested and uh, give them a follow. Uh, they're great people, and they grow great cannabis and make great products. So thank you to Excelsior Extracts. Now back to the show. All right, welcome back to Grow Bud Yourself. We have a very special guest for you guys today on our 40th episode, and he is Mr. James Rushing of White Coat Services. Welcome, James. Hey, guys. How are you? Uh, first of all, I'm actually a big fan. Um, I watched, or I, sorry, I listened to every episode, and uh, I, I tend to pop it in when I'm doing my traveling, and I'll binge, you know, four or five, six episodes at a time. So uh, I'm, I'm quite familiar with your format and uh, the quality you guys have been pumping out. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm also a fan of your work. Uh, James is the CEO and lead consultant for White Coat Services, which is a cannabis industry management and plant science consulting company. So, uh, but before we get into that, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background? Um, You're originally a Chicago guy, right? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Chicago um, and spent many years uh, learning about the plant here and, and, and starting off in cultivation in Chicago. Um, and during my time as, uh, you know, learning about what it meant to be a cannabis professional in the nineties, um, and in the two thousands, uh, realized very quickly that there was a a track that could be taken by myself. And that would be, uh, one that was a little supported a little bit more about, uh, academics and, uh, like true plant sciences, as opposed to, uh, reading the uh, the three cannabis manuals that were available and kind of extending my knowledge a, a little bit beyond that, um, ended up transplanting to uh, Hawaii uh, and brought my then girlfriend, now wife, over there and uh, set up shop uh, with uh, learning more about outdoor production, microbiology, uh, ecology, conservation, uh, and ended up uh, attending University of Hawaii, uh, getting, getting a, uh, a bachelor's degree in tropical plants and soil sciences. Uh, and then to make a long story short, um, eventually got a master's degree in uh, tropical conservation, biology, and environmental science. Uh, and all the while, I had been working with, uh, you know, some large-scale grows, uh, up-and-coming grows in the West Coast and in Europe um, that were looking for to improve their, their plant health and operational management protocols. Um, And so at that time, I I had specifically focused on training myself how to operate 
large scale indoor grows like tissue culture facilities in Asia uh, for the cut flower and cut plant industries and um, kind of hitched on to a group of professors and educators in University of Hawaii who were focused on um, the operational management investment uh, protocols and investment um, uh, you know, methods uh, for getting large-scale indoor multi-million dollar facilities built, um, profitable and uh, functioning in the industry. So I took what I knew from that and the experience I got from that, plus my plant science background uh, and started up White Coat Services, which is a uh, plant consultation and operational management company, as you said. Um, and at the same time started doing some business development uh, where I was at and ended up getting one of the competitive licenses in Hawaii uh, a couple of years ago when they were handing out medical uh, cannabis licenses, uh, work with a group called La Ola. And uh, we ended up establishing um, probably the biggest, if not the most profitable um, uh, cannabis company in Hawaii. Uh, they are on the big island. They have three retail locations. Um, in, a, in a really, really, really nice state-of-the-art uh, cultivation facility that does a great job of mitigating uh, pests as, as are quite common in Hawaii. Hawaii. Um, and then uh, at the same time, working with large-scale grows, like I said, in, in Europe, lots in California, and then emerging states. Um, started setting up a couple uh, businesses in, in California and uh, to make a long story short, ended up hooking up with a, a company called Origins uh, from Washington. They have a couple uh, retail locations in uh, West Seattle and Redmond, a couple cultivation centers in Oklahoma and retail in Oklahoma. Um, we, we've partnered up uh, through the pandemic and done a really great job of working together to uh try to fill out as many competitive applications as we can across the country and try to uh really branch out into uh emerging markets and states including illinois michigan uh maine massachusetts uh just finished an application in georgia um we're looking at at projects in louisiana utah um, all over the country and um that's where a lot of my focus now has been is getting those businesses, those retail and cultivation centers up and going. And um, we've been pretty successful in 20, 2020. I think I turned in 43 competitive applications. Um, I'm, I'm almost on three this year. Uh, yeah, we just found out today that uh, Springfield, uh, Massachusetts is opening up and has RFPs available. So we're shooting over there to try to get that East Coast presence. Uh, as quickly as we can. That's awesome. That's excellent. Um, so it sounds like you have a very unique background because you were a grower in whatever what we now call, I guess, the legacy or traditional uh, market, then ended up getting that education uh, in Hawaii and sort of bringing uh, agricultural science techniques to uh, what you know, an industry that obviously at that time, you know, starting to scale up, but not really understanding what that means. Now, uh, tell me, you know, Hawaii sounds like an amazing place uh, to grow cannabis, but at the same time, it does come with some pretty interesting and unique challenges, um, particularly, I guess, when it comes to uh, pest management. 
So can you tell me a little bit about some of those challenges, uh, particularly to the islands of Hawaii? Yeah, yeah, I tell people that Hawaii is easily the hardest place I've ever seen to grow cannabis, uh, mainly because the pest and, and pathogen pressures uh, have not ever been overwintered. Uh, there's always just this year after year compounding of new uh, strains of pathogens that arrive, especially for the plant industry. Uh, coming from a lot from cut flowers in the ornamental industry uh, and then also agriculture management uh, that does not do a good job of mitigating uh, pests and pathogens. Uh, so it's, it's easily uh, very difficult to uh, grow cannabis all the way through uh, in, in, into a finished product. There are many people that I know and love that are doing a great job with it. And um, they have figured out those methods. But when we were deciding to build a facility in Big Island on the on the uh, the windward side where all the rainfall, 230 inches or so a year of rain, um, we knew that if we were going to put our facilities in such a location that we needed to uh, build a spaceship like uh, triple enveloped facility that mitigates all microbial presence as much as we can. Um, and that design went into place um, and, and they've done a pretty good job of, of putting those design plans together. Um, but for the average grower out there, it, it, botrytis, um, powdery mildew, mites, aphids, uh, the list just goes on and on. Just take California times three um, and, and you're, you're, in, you're in that, that pressure zone for, for Hawaii. Yeah. And uh, also, you know, there's very limited amount of uh, pesticides that you can use or even uh, beneficial insects and that sort of thing, right? Because of uh, the unique uh, location, I guess, of the islands and, and restrictions on introducing new species of, of, of yeah, pests they've, and things. Yeah, they've learned their lesson for sure is uh, bringing in things from other places uh, has not been the most successful method for Hawaii uh, one of the problems that they, they common de commonly deal with in Hawaii is the um, a coffee bearer borer beetle, lots of bees. Uh, it's a beetle that bores into coffee berries, and uh, they've been trying to mitigate that uh, those issues with uh, ep um, some sort of um, fungi that will attack the, the ectoskeleton uh, endomopathogenic fungi that it naturally occurs in the Amazon. Uh, in areas where uh, coffee cultivation happens, it's a common tool used in Brazil, uh, something that would probably save the industry, uh, but they won't allow those types or haven't in the past. They're, they're starting to let several of them through. But for years and years, th those pressures for farmers, uh, the answer that was out there wasn't available because of the regulations put in place in Hawaii. Yeah. Now, you also mentioned uh, your education with uh, soil sciences, uh, tropical plants, tropical conservation biology, and uh, sustainable agriculture. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, how that can pertain to the cannabis industry and what we can do uh, in, you know, I guess, SOP for being more sustainable on in these large scale grows? Yeah, um, it, it's always every company wants to strive to be the the organic OMRI certified, uh, you know, uh, 
some sort of sustainable agriculture type company. But when you really break it down, it's very difficult to do those types of systems in large scale grows. And so most large scale grows will opt for those, uh, you know, either hybrid of organic salts or just salt systems with injectors and such. Uh, what I try to do is show people that you can actually utilize those methods, maybe not the methods, but at least um, the modes of action that go on in those sustainable systems like composting and vermicomposting and using enzymes, uh, increasing uh, plant response uh, to uh, known pathogens uh, and, and making it so that plants can increase their defenses. These are things that the large scale companies all the way up to, you know, the large scale Canadian companies are looking to incorporate in and uh, there are ways and methods. A lot of the times it's isolating out a specific microorganism, if you will, that you would find in a uh, sustainable agriculture environment and then putting that into an application in an indoor environment in large scale grow or some sort of greenhouse environment. Um, but it, slowly and surely there, it, there's, there's become this kind of two-sided uh, opinions of cannabis production, one that needs to be the living soil type uh, manufacturing protocols. And then there's the, I just need to make sure I meet my margins. Uh, and, and produce cannabis with all my costs of facilities and, and, and employee management and all that. I have to keep my costs down and be able to produce a product so I can keep my doors open. Um, a lot of times those differences, I think the cusp is um, it's, it's a licensed facility. When you talk about uh, a, a state licensed facility, usually over a canopy of about 10,000 square feet. When you start looking at 10,000 square feet, even if it's indoor or outdoor, uh, greenhouse. That's a that's a line where it's very difficult to, to try to um, incorporate a lot of those sustainable agriculture, or at least have exclusive sustainable agricultural techniques. Uh, and so I, I challenge people who are above that 10,000 square feet to try to find a, a happy medium between them. Uh, you got to understand that I went to school and was the biggest advocate for 20 years for uh, all sustainable Korean natural farming methods and, and all of that. But when you get into the ownership role and the actual uh, production role of large scale licensed state uh, uh, licensed facilities, there has to be a little bit of give and there has to be a, a figuring out of how do I still make money and, and, and control my margins, but yet still um, use these materials and these methods that that uh, I, I would prefer to use. And I know that the customer would rather have used in, in their system. Right. So it's very different when you have, uh, you know, a, a four by eight tent uh, than when you have a 30,000 square foot uh, production facility. And so you have to mitigate, uh, you know, what the costs of that are and then also what you can save by being sustainable and what it might cost you in extra uh, labor and, and intensity and that sort of thing. Now, as someone who has overseen the cultivation of, I guess, over a quarter million square feet of flowering canopy uh, just in the last five or six years or so, uh, can you tell me a little bit about what uh, integrated pest management looks like in these large facilities? And, and that's what we call IPM. Uh, and 
yeah, just give me an idea of what, what that's like in these large facilities and, and what that entails. It w- usually what I use is the word threshold. And that's uh, you, you, every facility that's on the larger scale needs to make sure that they know that it's okay to have pest pressures and it's okay to have uh, issues with pathogens in occurrence. But at what point do you uh, act on it? What point do you um, throw prevention measures at it versus eradication measures? Uh, that's really a, a different story in these large-scale grows. Uh, every cultivation greenhouse in California has russet mites. I don't agree with you if you tell me you don't have them. Um, but I would say that at what point does have you done the analytics at a large-scale grow to determine uh, at what point do those populations or densities affect my yield, affect my quality, affect my overall bottom dollar. Uh, but methods that are highly uh, recommended are not highly used, but highly recommended are those preventative measures. Um, putting out things like uh, Regalia and, and Grandivo uh, and Venerate in, in a cocktail to put out to, pre- to prevent uh, pathogens from having populations that go above your threshold. Uh, knowing that I'm going to have a certain population of uh, an insect or, or a pest, and that every four weeks, no matter what I do on the preventative side, the, uh, predatory mites and such, I could throw all those things at it. But at the end of the, the, end of the month, do I come along and put a, a, a higher chemical, if you will, uh, you know, your definition of chemical is different than a lot of other people's, but uh, the, the, at what point do I throw the kitchen sink at it? Um, at what point do I do anything at all about it? Uh, every four weeks, I know that my populations of russets will go up because they're bastards and they'll, they'll do whatever they can to get those populations up. Maybe every four weeks I have a protocol where I come in with something a little bit more uh, eradicative than, than I would say preventative. Uh, that way you're making sure that you keep your populations pushed down regularly, maintained down. Uh, another me- method is definitely making sure that your genetics and where you're getting your genetics from, if they're in-house or out of house, those are two totally different subjects. If you're getting your stuff from in-house, are you making sure that you're doing all your pest prevention protocols all along the way? Those companies that are in the 30,000, 50, 100,000 square feet category, that's how they succeed. Uh, it's really best to have all the tools available as you available that you can. You want to make sure that you have a medicine cabinet that is full uh, of all of the things that would eradicate pests or pathogens in your facility before that you, you get those pests or pathogens in your facility. So that if you do have an occurrence, say powdery mildew just shows up one night because your dehueys went out and you didn't notice and, and or it was very, very moist night in Georgia. Uh, it, it just happens. What do you do? Do you have a medicine cabinet full of tools uh, and, and materials that will, um, that you can address that powdery mildew issue immediately or do you have to wait four or five or six days to get those materials, put them in place and then be behind the ball as it becomes systemic in your system? So uh, th- those are some tools that the large-scale growers tend to succeed with, is, is having 
having what you need on hand. And is it the same advice that you'd give to someone who had the four by eight tent and noticed the uh, a russet mite in their inspection? Without a doubt. Have your tools ready. Know that you might have russet mites and then have that pest preventative measure in place, but also have it written down as to what you're going to do. What's your schedule look like in applications? Just like if I was a large scale grower, I'd have to have all this stuff written down. In the end, record keeping is so important uh, with this stuff and, and, and making sure that you're um, applying the right materials and the right concentrations at the right time. Uh, so it's really no difference on the large scale to small scale grow. You just, it's just a matter of thresholds. That's really the only difference. Hmm. Okay. So you mentioned earlier your work with Origins, um, and you, you, you mentioned RFP. What, what exactly is RFP? And, you know, uh, I guess just explain that to our audience. Yes, that's a request for proposals. It's typically what the state uh, or a city might release um, when they are willing to accept applications for cannabis licenses, whether it be cultivation or manufacturing or retail. Uh, they tend to make a statement out to the public uh, that they are requesting people either turn in applications or make a presentation or meet with the council members or some sort of activity that you should go through to get that license. And so there's a lot of folks out there that ask me all the time, how do I get into this starting up a license? How do I do? You have to talk to the cities. You have to find out what regulators in the states are, are in charge of regulating these applications. Like for instance, we just did Georgia. It was a statewide application. And in that statewide application, we needed to have a local authorization to be to set up a business at a specific location. Um, and we found out about that with, with the release uh, or the request for proposals, which came out in, 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 in November. Uh, now, a lot of people need to understand that you have to be ready for these RFPs. You have to be ready to act on them as they are released. Because for instance, in Georgia, they were released on November 22nd. They were due on the 28th of December. So that left, you know, 30, plus days to, to, to write a 500 page application with site plans, getting local authorization, uh, having uh, banking and checking ready. Uh, it's, it's a huge undertaking to have uh, to jump into if you haven't been prepared and watched the process as the city or the state uh, starts talking about the, the uh, regulations and the ordinances that would be in place to set up these. So you really have to follow along all along the way. Interesting. Now, um, tell me about the software platform uh, that, that was developed at Origins and, and what that's all about. Yeah. So um, Origins is a really interesting company and I'm glad I, I was able to become uh, part of the group. And it's because uh, they are a technology company uh, who is, has a platform called the hub and it is a, uh, ERP, uh, efficiency, uh, what's the uh, acronym for ERP? Uh, efficiency resource something. It's, it's essentially a software system that uh, monitors your workflow and your production flow and uh, has measurements and quality assurance points along the way so that you, c you can have a real good idea of uh, your efficiency and how uh, an activity in one section of the grow might affect your bottom line. 
Uh, it also has a POS system in it. So the hub is connected to the purchase uh, locations in our retail locations uh, for our cultivation center. So we can actually get analytics to understand if we do something different in cultivation, how does that affect our retail marketing, uh, branding, and availability of products? Um, there's also a marketing platform that allows patients and, and customers to interact with Origins, the, the retail location, and there is an engine contained within there that has a recommendation engine that will basically provide suggestions for uh, anybody who is new to cannabis or wants to try out new products that are out on the market. And that platform will kind of uh, bring you as a customer to products that fit the things that you like. So for instance, I, I generally, um, I have a very high tolerance, so edibles with, with five or 10 milligrams don't really satisfy me or don't interest me very much. But if there was an edible product that were available with a higher potency, maybe I would be notified that these are available, a little bit of description about them. I might get it in a text message. There's a new product available. And so it's ERP, POS, the <laughs> efficiency management. It's POS, it's the purchasing, and then it's the uh, marketing side as well, all integrated together. And what this does is it allows our company to um, have analytics through the whole vertical integration of the company. And there's not too many or there isn't any uh, programs out there like this. Uh, this is a proprietary program that we've designed. And what we've decided to do is instead of releasing it to the public, we're actually putting it in application, which is one of the reasons why we are getting so many licenses across the country is we're putting this system in application, cultivation, manufacturing, different uh, regulated areas, different uh, zones of the country to show that it has uh, a, a a universal use and, and can be applicable for either a small section of the, the supply chain or a full integrated group. Nice. That's amazing. Now, you mentioned, uh, you know, facilities in Hawaii, in Georgia, in the Northeast, Maine, uh, Michigan, but you're also working on a cultivation center in Illinois. Now, how does it feel that you know, to sort of come full circle back to <laughs> your origins, so to speak. Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting to say the least. Um, what we're doing is the state has only uh, allowed uh, large scale cannabis production in the hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand square feet uh, to five companies that have been around in Illinois in the recreational market for for years now, and then they decided to release uh, uh, craft cultivation licenses, which is kind of nice. It's, uh, you know, anywhere between five and, and 14,000 square feet, depending on as you uh, grow and progress. And it allows you to manufacture uh, uh, edibles and, and, and concentrates and pre-rolls and also cultivate and distribute uh, all under one license. It's very nice. And I, I, I do recommend if anybody's in any states that has a micro business or a craft business license available, look at those very closely because they're very cheap to get and they and you can do a lot of things under one roof while you're there. Um, and so to be in Illinois and, and, and uh, do 14,000 square feet uh, legally this time, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a very, very a unique feeling uh, and I'm excited to hopefully get the opportunity. That's awesome. All right, well, so uh, 
tell people a little bit about White Coat Services, what you what sort of services you actually provide to clients and how people can actually find out more and uh, follow you, website, social media, all of that. Yeah, sure. Uh, so White Coat Services, again, operational management. Uh, if you need help in, in running a uh, cannabis licensed cannabis facility, uh, it, it doesn't matter really where it is. Uh, we're doing projects in, in Greece. Uh, right now, we're doing it in, in Europe and, and across the world. So uh, we have a reach to to get out uh, information for operational management and provide solutions uh, for managers and executive managers, investors. Uh, and then also there's the plant science arm of the company, which uh, does provide, again, those those plant science solutions to large scale grows. If there's any companies out there that are struggling with any pests and, and they've tried everything under the sun, uh, just give us a call and we can uh, basically figure out a solution for you. Uh, I, I, I have grown from a one man shop to a uh, now much bigger operation over the years. And so I do have in my uh, consultation uh, Rolodex uh, some of the best consultants in, in, in the world. Uh, and it's very tight knit network of people that are high quality and proven in the industry. Uh, so we can we can provide help uh, on both sides of plant science and operational management. If anybody wants to get a hold of me, um, they can uh, find me. Well, it's I had a wonderful Instagram account that and, and, and the plague has come across the cannabis industry. For those that don't know, uh, about half <laughs> it seems to be half of the, the players in the industry have had their Instagram uh, accounts shut off in the last uh, six months. Uh, I was a victim very recently. And so uh, my newest page uh, is White Coat Services LLC. Uh, my old one was White Coat Services. I'm hoping to get that up again. Uh, but if you want to reach me directly, a website is www.whitecoatservices.com. Uh, you can DM me uh, directly as well on Instagram and uh, email me if you have any questions at all at info at whitecoatservices.com. Right on. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, check out whitecoatservices.com, you guys. Uh, thank you to James Rushing. And we will be back with more of Grow Bud Yourself after these messages. Hey, guys. Grow Bud Yourself is so proud to be sponsored by Sweet Leaf Nutrients. They have an incredible line of organic and synthetic nutrients uh, amazing amendments, great stuff on their website. And using the code DANKO15, you can get 15% off of everything at sweetleaf.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F. They have amazing organic fertilizers, amendments, indoor hydroponic grow tent kits, uh, smell-proof bags, duffel bags, all kinds of backpacks, and an incredible line of newts that work wonderfully with cannabis. We got a great promotion going on with Patreon, where we're giving away sweet leaf nutrients at those different levels, and lots of promo codes there as well. So we are just super psyched to have Sweet Leaf on as a sponsor for the show, and we hope that you will also support them. Join us on our Patreon page for some free newts. And check out their site, sweetleaf.com, for nutrients and more. All right, welcome back. And uh, yeah, nice enlightening chat there with uh, James Rushing, White Coat Services. 
Yeah, very good. Good stuff. And uh, we find ourselves now in our cultivation segment. That's right, which is brought to you by Diamond Cut Co., uh, the creators of premium quality trimming scissors. These are made for growers by growers with conscious ergonomic designs. And uh, if you grow your own, you definitely need Diamond Cut Co. scissors. Check out their website, diamondcutco.com, for all the different designs. And uh, use the code DANKO20 for 20% off everything on the site. They have different uh, scissors for different practices. Then they have deals where you can buy uh, all five or just three. And again, 20% off with code DANKO20 at Diamond Cut Co. Absolutely. All right. So uh, it has not been a fortnight, so we're not ready for a strain. And our listeners know at this point that each week you like to talk about a uh, grow tip that helps people become better cultivators. But we got an interesting email uh, this week, and uh, and we thought we would share it with our listeners, and maybe you could, uh, you know, go a little in-depth on the subject. But it, it is about composting, and it comes to us from Alan Ginsbud. <laughs> Alan Ginsbud. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yes, so it is the Ten Commandments of compost and uh you know we thought maybe we would uh we would go through what he considers to be the 10 commandments of composting yeah let's read his email here all right let's do it well he writes uh dear danny and mike i was planning to submit the following short piece to a certain gardening related magazine but uh after i heard you parted ways with it i decided to edit it for spoken format and send it to you directly to do with what you will enjoy Love from Northern California, Alan Ginsbud. Oh, I like that. <laughs> well, thanks yeah. for thinking of us, Alan. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess without further ado, if we're going to bring back an oldie but a goodie, uh, The Ten Commandments of Compost by Alan Ginsbud, starting with commandment number one. I am compost, the natural process of turning waste into fertilizer. Thou shalt house me in a container that fits thy budget and dwelling place. Apartment dwellers shalt Google indoor composting. And commandment four, thou shalt render unto me yard and food waste, plus natural materials like cardboard, used potting mix, chopsticks, feathers, hair, and fur. Commandment five, Thou shalt not add items like poison oak, human and pet waste, or blackberry brambles, for they are an abomination to thy health and safety. Commandment six is, Thou mayest chop, shred, mow, tear, or freeze thy waste to seest me sooner. <laughs> Commandment seven, Thou shalt turn my pile often for aeration, pest control, and exercise. Right. Commandment eight is, Thou shalt add such water as to keep me moist as a sponge. Commandment nine, My final form looks like dark, crumbly dirt. Thou shalt add my sifted remains to thy soil or potting mix, or render me into compost tea, especially if thou growest hydro. <laughs> okay, yeah, and the, and the final uh, commandment of composting, number ten, is... Thou shalt use the leftovers for mulch or place them in thy next compost batch or thy green waste bin. So those are the ten commandments of composting according to Alan Ginsbud. 
I love it. Thank you so much, Alan. And yeah, I mean, composting is amazing. It's something almost everybody can do, I would imagine. Uh, he mentions indoor composting. Just got to be pretty diligent if you're doing that sort of thing. Uh, the benefits are incredible. Uh, if you have a clay soil, you can use compost to loosen that soil. If you have a soil that's too loose and sandy, you can use compost to help uh, bring that soil together a little bit and help it hold a little extra water. So compost is like the universal good thing. Uh, it's got plenty of uh, minerals and micronutrients and macronutrients, but it's very mild uh, compared to you know most other types of nutrients. Uh, you really can't overdo it with compost. Uh, it's really the, just the most versatile homemade fertilizer you can use. And as mentioned, also, you can do aerated compost tea, uh, just oxygenate tea. Uh, I will talk about that as well. It's a great way to recycle your food scraps, your lawn clippings, uh, the leaves that fall uh, in the fall. And again, it's a versatile organic plant food. It protects your plants uh makes them stronger, protects them from pest and mold. And uh, you can start a compost pile pretty much anywhere. I mean, as long as you have a backyard or a space to put, you know, even a three by three uh, situation with some fencing, uh, add a ton of leaves and cardboard, uh, carbon rich materials, which people call browns, uh, hay, dry leaves, shredded newspaper. Uh, you want about three times as much carbon-rich material as nitrogen-rich material, which people call greens, uh, which would include like fruit and vegetable scraps, coffee grounds, eggshells, uh, as mentioned in the commandments, things like hair and fur. Uh, avoid, you know, animal products uh, and, and waste because uh, you can have pests and things in there and parasites. Uh, keep the pile moist, as mentioned. The rotting process will heat the mix up. A great compost pile will actually have steam coming off of it from the heat. And uh, as mentioned in the commandments as well, you got to turn the pile over uh, uh, pretty often just to aerate it. Eventually, you'll have that crumbly dark brown compost. Uh, you can mix it into your soil. You can use it as a mulch uh, for top dressing or steep it overnight using cheesecloth in a bucket filled with water. Uh, aerated by a simple oxygenation pump, uh, like one of those pumps you get from the aquarium or pet store, uh, oxygenate it for 24 hours. That'll feed uh, tons of, uh, it'll turn the millions of beneficial microbes into billions of microbes. Uh, you want to dilute that till it's about the color of a weak iced tea. You can use that to foliar feed your leaves or as an amazing soil drench for your plants. Uh, they will love it and it's a great way to create your own homemade fertilizer and reuse scraps and uh, feed the worms that feed the soil and really just complete the loop of the soil food web. Right on. And, uh, you know, we thank our listener, Ellen Ginsbud, for, uh, for bringing that topic to our attention. I don't know if you were having trouble deciding what direction to go in for reading that uh, it was like a charlton heston ten commandments thing or was it a beat poetry allen ginsburg kind of thing i don't know yeah I, yeah interesting i thought of it as more of like a spoken word kind of mm. uh you know het cat uh bongo kind of scene you know uh, we should have done it that way oh well. a beatnik <laughs> next time 
but yes, so thank you, Ellen Ginsbud. And uh, actually, it is now time to to take uh, listener grow questions as we do each week. And uh, if you have a question that you would like answered on the show, get in touch with us. Uh, you could email us. That is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, you could also reach us on uh, Twitter, on the socials, on YouTube, all of that. So we have, uh, we have a few to get through. Why don't we hop right in? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay, cool. So let us start out with uh, Salsa Verde, who writes, Dear Dan, huh, that's unusual. Uh, Dear Dan, virtually every nutrient product I have seen has instructions on the label noting to store them in a dark place, but they aren't kept in the dark at grocery stores, so what's up with that? Uh, does this lead to the degradation of the products or lessen the effectiveness if they're stored in non-dark areas? Uh, interesting question. W- what would you say to Salsa Verde? Yes, uh, salsa. Um, the hope is that your grow store doesn't have that product in stock really for long enough to do any real damage to the newts. The real problem is going to be from the grower when you store the nutrients in your grow room, uh, especially if it's exposed to your HID lighting. A lot of times I've been in spaces where the fertilizer bottles are on a shelf right in the middle of the grow space, and uh, that nutrient will degrade very quickly in that scenario. There's a lot of heat and it's just uh, the light and the heat is no no good for the nutrients. Uh, a lot of times, you know, the best grow shops will show you display bottles on the shelf and then, you know, they'll go and get the bottles from a dark back room uh, if it's the type of shop that really, you know, wants to make sure that you're getting a fresh product. But it's bad is really to ensure that you purchased a fresh product that hasn't been sitting on the shelf for months or especially uh, in sunlight, God forbid it's in the window of the grocery store or something like that. Uh, and you can always ask the clerk at the shop if there's any sealed boxes, uh, in the back of those nutrients. Uh, and then once you get those nutrients home, store those bottles in a cool, dark place for the best longevity. Certainly don't keep them anywhere within, you know, the grow space and the heat and the light and all of that. Just, put them in the next room in a cool, dark place, a closet or something of that nature, and uh, they'll last much longer. All right. We uh, we hope that answers the question there, Salsa Verde. And uh, let's move on to, uh, well, let's go over to Europe for um, a question from Mark in Dublin. Hi, Danny and Mike. I loved the cultivation episode last week. It was great timing for me as a refresher. Last year, I did my first grow, which was White Widow Autos and Cocoa Indoors using synthetic nutrients. Uh, The grow went great, and I'm ready to get going again. This time, I'm going to do some Bruce Banner Auto with Purple Matic CBD, Uh, but this time I wanted to make it a bit lower maintenance now that some of the novelty is worn off. So this time, I plan to partially automate watering and feeding using Autopots and Biotabs. Autopot is gravity-powered automatic watering system Biotabs are organic, slow-release fertilizers with bacteria and fungus additives that purport to create a kind of supersoil that doesn't require any feeding during the growth. I now hope to be able to do uh, just my LST, top up the water, and generally keep an eye on things until harvest, instead of feeding, watering, pH balancing, runoff testing, etc. every day for three months. My question is, is this too good to be true? If this method works, it seems like a no-brainer because the costs are similar, but maybe I'm missing something. Have you seen something like this uh, in a grow before, and do you have any advice? So so what do you think? That does sound too good to be true. Yeah, um, you know, 
the the thing is, okay, you did your first grow and now you want to, uh, you know, take it easy a little bit. And I see this mistake a lot uh, where growers have a really good first time outing uh, and some people will attribute it to beginner's luck. I attribute it to the fact that you're paying really close attention and you're really, uh, you know, concerned and eager to make sure everything goes right. And then you have that sophomore slump where the second or the third grow, you sort of take it easy and just let things go. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that's going to happen to you, Mark, but uh, I am saying that if you do automate your watering and feeding using the auto pots and the bio tabs, um, you run the risk of not spending as much time with your plants and therefore things like issues with bugs or powdery mildew uh, can take hold uh, in, at a, in a time frame where, you know, you're not paying attention because uh, you think everything's kind of on autopilot. So it, I'm not saying it couldn't work. Uh, these things work a lot. And as long as everything's dialed in and working, uh, gravity-powered automatic, automatic watering system uh, can work great. Organic slow-release fertilizers uh, with those additives sounds like it works great. I would just, uh, you know, I would hesitate to just leave them alone and not pay attention to the plants. Uh, just make sure everything's running properly and keep an eye on your plants and it should be great. Uh, you know, all those things that you were talking about, feeding, watering, pH balancing, runoff testing, you know, those are tough when you're growing hydroponically, but, uh, not quite as bad, uh, much more forgiving when you're growing in a, uh, soil or soilless mix or, uh, some type of medium where you're hand watering. Uh, I'm not saying it can't work out and, uh, it certainly could save you some time, but don't neglect your plants uh, to the detriment of spending at least a little bit of time every day making sure everything's running properly and looking good. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Sorry if that uh, burst your bubble there, Mark, but we hope that helps you out. Uh, let's jump over to our friend That Bloke, who writes, uh, Hi, both. <laughs> Uh, firstly, I would like to say that I'm still loving the show and that the info provided definitely helps people along the right path. I have a question related to growing whilst working away. I have recently changed jobs, and this means that I will now be away from home up to four days a week. I'm wondering how the hell am I going to feed my plants when I'm not there? As I've previously said, I have a 1.2 by 1.2 tent set up uh, with a 315 CMH lamp, and I have some temp issues, and I've had two failed crops due to the cold weather. I hope this is now resolved with a little heater set up, but uh, now my availability to tend to my babies is gone. The last thing I want is to grow chappy plants, but can you help with a relatively low-cost solution? So um, so what would you say there to that bloke? Yes. Uh, well, first, maybe you need to talk to Mark from Dublin because uh, he's got some plans for self-watering uh, where you know you can get away for a little while. It's, uh, it's tough. Uh, if you're going to be taking four days away from your plants... Uh, a lot can happen in those four days, and there are ways, you know, auto pots, as mentioned before, other self-watering ways uh, to make sure the plants are fine, but you also have this heater set up, uh, and walking away from that for four days uh, also could be dangerous depending on how that heater is set up, so you got to be careful with that. Um, yeah, I mean... It's tough. Uh, if you're not going to be there and no one else is going to be there and you're gone for four days, um, you know, you just have to make sure they're well watered when you leave. Uh, make sure the heater setup is safe. 
make sure you know there's no issues with bugs or pests or anything like that and you know when you come back in four days uh, just pray that nothing bad happened and and start the cycle over uh, you should be okay that's a long time to take away from you know be away from your plants but it's not un it's not impossible uh, just make sure that the heater is safe uh, and certainly not any kind of a danger to you know burning your whole place down or anything like that because that's the real you know you can lose a harvest and it's it's a catastrophe but uh, a fire is a really bad catastrophe so uh, definitely avoid that yeah good advice um and actually that bloke has a bit of a ps here to you danny he writes uh, just answer your question uh, regarding ronaldo or messi Definitely messy as he goes about his business in a much more nonchalant manner and is not a show-off. Personally, I follow Liverpool FC and would welcome Messi anytime. I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> well, it's a sport that you don't follow, but uh, the sport of kings. Uh, soccer, we call it here. Football over there. Uh, Liverpool, an amazing team. Uh, Mo Salah, the Egyptian king. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. I agree. Messi is uh, the best of all time, the GOAT. I uh, hope he can win for Argentina a World Cup. Uh, and Ronaldo, you know, he's fun to watch. But, you know, Ronaldo does the things that other players do, and but he just does it more often. Uh, Messi does things that no other player can do. And all you have to do is watch him and you can see. And again, like you said, also very nonchalant. Uh, although <laughs> he makes plenty, plenty of money for it, as we found out this week. Uh, but uh, amazing to watch. One of the only players whose highlights can really bring tears to your eyes. And uh, so, yeah, Google Messi, M-E-S-S-I, if you have no idea what I'm talking about. And uh, prepare to feast your eyes on some of the greatest soccer ever played or football ever played if you're in the uk or anywhere else besides america i guess prepare to just weep there. while watching uh, soccer and just bawling your eyes out and watching uh, the nah, i mean i wouldn't say bawling my eyes out but you know just watch and see for yourself Messi. it's a thing of beauty he's an amazing man and uh an incredible player and we're lucky to be alive at the same time watching him in real time uh performing incredible feats of of valor on the pitch okay very good um thank you that bloke and thank you for giving dan a little uh soccer fix there uh we got time for one more so let's go to donkey farmer who writes hi danny and mike uh thanks for keeping up the great work on the show i really appreciate how you keep to the schedule and get a new episode out every week i like how we lowered the bar so much that people are just excited we're putting shows out <laughs> good for us uh okay so um uh, Donkey Farmer writes, my question has to do with controlling how tall outdoor plants will get. Uh, here in Oregon, home growers, ha home growers are allowed four plants per household, uh, but those plants must not be visible to the public. Uh, my fence is five feet tall, so I need to limit the height of my plants to five feet or less. If I let them grow to five feet and then top them, will the plant get bushy and fill in, or will topping hurt the plant and limit the harvest? Uh, what do you think? Yes. So uh, my advice to Donkey Farmer is, okay, you can't get let them get taller than five feet, but you certainly don't want to go to five feet and then start topping them at that time uh, because they're still going to stretch during flowering. Even once the flowering starts, uh, the plants will, will stretch another foot, sometimes more. 
So I would say uh, start topping early as the plant is growing. Once you see three or four sets of leaves, uh, start topping then and be, you know, judicious. I mean, so you can top all throughout uh, the spring and summer as the plant is growing and you can really spread it out nice and wide. Uh, make sure you have plenty of room for the roots to grow and you'll end up with a really nice wide bush of a plant. And uh, you just keep topping it right up until uh, it starts to flower uh, or, you know, right up until a few weeks before it starts to flower. And you want to always keep all of that under four feet at that point. Uh, so if if you can use some chicken wire or some type of trellising, that really helps a lot because you can tuck the branches underneath that and keep them nice and low and then when they flower they'll still stretch that extra foot or so but they'll still be within the five feet that you need uh, for people not to see them and that way you're going to get a huge harvest uh, spread out over a wide amount of space but not tall enough to see over the fence so that's my advice uh, top all you want uh, during the vegetative stage meaning you know during the spring and the summer and then once the end of summer starts to approach, uh, once you're within a couple of weeks of the plant starting to flower, stop topping, let the plant flower, and all those uh, extra branches are going to be huge tops filled out with flowers. Uh, so that's my advice to you to, uh, to get the most out of, your, out of your four plants per household in Oregon. All right. Thank you to Donkey Farmer. Thanks to everybody who wrote in this week. If you have a question that you would like answered on the show, uh, get in touch with us. You can email us at info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, you can also get us on socials, Patreon, YouTube. Uh, what do you say we take a little break, come back, and wrap this sucker up? Sounds good. Let's do it. All right, welcome back, and I think we are in the wrap. Time to wrap it up. Hip-hop don't stop. So, uh, yeah, actually, speaking of hip-hop, uh, we lost a great legend of hip-hop this week. Uh, rest in peace to Ricky Powell. We had him on the show. Oh, I really? Believe. Yeah, oh, Ricky, Ricky Powell passed away a couple of days ago, huh. and uh, he was a guest on the show. Uh, I think it was number 88. It was somewhere in the 80s, you guys, so... Um, go back and check out the old Freeweed episode with Ricky Powell. It was one of a kind New York City legend um, and truly uh, an amazing guy. Uh, it was 88, yeah. Episode 88. So if you guys want to hear Ricky, uh, go check him out. He's considered like the fourth Beastie Boy. Uh, took all these incredible photographs over the years of uh, some incredible luminaries, including Fab Five Freddy and Jean-Michel Basquiat and Andy Warhol and Sandra Bernhardt, Debbie Mazar, and just a, a bunch of, he's a, just a New York City legend, a uh, big time cannabis supporter, weed smoker, big friend of the Halfling's Leaf, a uh, friend of the podcast and a personal friend. Uh, so uh, yeah, rest in peace to Ricky Powell, uh, an incredible person, name checked in the Beastie Boys song, my favorite song, Car Thief, off of Paul's Boutique. Uh, so, yeah, on that note, uh, rest in peace, Ricky. We really enjoyed having you on the show, and uh, um, you're a true New Yorker and a true legend. So uh, remember that legends never die, you guys. So uh, try to have leave a legacy behind you of uh, good deeds and good work and good art. Um, that's the best I can say on that 
Um, support our sponsors, you guys. Always vapor.com is our affiliate where you can use the code GBY for 15% off of all the uh, vaporizer accessories, including rolling papers, trays, uh, all kinds of things, glass products and uh, torches and all kinds of stuff. So definitely check out vapor.com. Don't forget that code GBY for 15% off uh, Excelsior extracts. Peep them out on uh, Instagram. They got that amazing THC infused pain rub. DM them for details. Sweet leaf nutrients. Uh, love them. Need them. Gotta have them. Danko15, the code, gets you 15% off. Uh, Diamond Cut Co., you know, the only scissors for true connoisseurs. We love them. Code is Danko20 for 20% off at diamondcutco.com. Uh, follow them all on Instagram. Tell them we sent you. Tell them you love Grow Bud Yourself and that, uh, you know, you're just happy that they support us. And we love you guys. Thank you, as always, for your support. Okay, well, uh, we seem to have lost uh, Dan again to his Wi-Fi issues, but... We'll be back next week with more Grow Bud Yourself. So uh, let's put this one in the books. 